Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got James Sykes online. James, how are you? I'm doing excellent. Michael, how are you? I am awesome. Really looking forward to this conversation because we're going to talk a bit about energy and all that. So why don't you share a little bit about you and the work you do, and then we'll dive right in. Absolutely. So I have been in the uranium exploration industry since 2006. That's where I've cut my teeth professionally. And I've been fortunate enough to work with some very successful companies that have made discoveries and have made some uh, quite a lucrative return to investors, uh, you know, throughout the last 15 years. So companies such as Denison Mines and uh, Next Gen Energy, Hathor Exploration, who were bought out by Rio Tinto, with those companies, they've generated over billions of dollars on investment return. And I'm looking to do the same thing again with, uh, with Baseload Energy. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that's that's a pretty good investment. I'm paying a little bit more than the banks are in interest rates, that's for sure. Um, but again, you know, it's uh, as you know, energy and technology and people are looking for you know different types of energy resources other than the the classic oil play, um, which obviously still you know is, is a factor. But you know, ev- everything is driving to you know different types of you know energy forces. So, what got you interested in this type of work? Energy. I believe in energy for the future. That's when I was back in university and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with a geological career. I was thinking about space because I love space and space is the final frontier for me. But then uh, just the whole mineral side of things, I'm not a not a huge gold bug or anything like that. But the idea of uranium, I'm actually from Elliott Lake, Ontario. Now, if if you're not familiar with that, it used to be uranium capital of the world. There's over billions of pounds of uranium in the ground, but they were Canada's largest supplier of uranium. My dad was a uranium miner. So I kind of had that in, in the background. And just the idea of nuclear energy has always appealed to me. And I, I just saw, even back then, we're talking 2006, that I just saw that the way the world was going, that our population is increasing, our technologies are increasing. But where is all this energy going to come from? Nuclear energy, the cleanest energy source out there, you know, aside from solar and, and, and the renewables, uh, it, it was definitely something that really caught my eye and just really, really true to my heart. So that's kind of my take on on where I came from and, and why I do what I do. I, I want to help feed the world with the energy requirements that we need. Yeah, it's, and I mean, I don't work in the energy space, but our current energy grid has to be put together with bubble gum and duct tape and things like that, because you think about it, the energy demands uh, of where we live in big cities, you know, and uh, across the globe, and you know that it just continues to grow. And of course, I'm sure that there's been an expansion of energy use since people have you know worked from home over this last year and some change, uh, which has made some impacts. And any any type of new construction, you know, new condo buildings, anything like that, you know, it takes up energy. And yeah. and we're 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 still you know, we're still hitting the the reservoir of something that is existing that you know 
you hear it all the time, you know, California, you know, they say, okay, you know, they've had, you know, some hot weather out there like they usually do this time of year. So they're asking people, okay, between, you know, 8 p.m. or until, you know, 6 a.m., you know, do your best to conserve energy, which is the right thing to do anyway, you know, yep. but but they're doing it because they, they basically don't have enough supply to meet the demand. And utilizing, you know, uranium, nuclear, you know, and, and obviously the other renewables and all that stuff as well. And a, and a combination of things is good. But the, the thing about uranium, it's like, it already exists. It, it The energy is there. You know, we, we've got, you know, nuclear plants in a variety of different places around the globe that is providing energy. And you don't hear about, oh, well, you know, we had a power outage and, and all this kind of stuff like you hear all the time on the old grid that, you know, limping. And even, you know, during the pandemic, you know, the issue down in Texas where, you know, they said, well, we're using our own energy here. And they ran into a, a pickle and, you know, had some massive power outages and they weren't connected to you know, other states as far as being on their grid. So their grid went down and they were you know, pardon the French, SOL, um, for a bit until they were able to get it back up. And again, that's where utilizing, you know, new technology and technology that we've been using, like you said, you know, for, for a long time, it makes a lot of sense. And even, I, I kid you not, literally five minutes before we jumped on this call, I didn't dig into the tweet, but I saw it you know, a tweet of an interview, you know, of Bill Gates saying, you know, we need to build more nuclear reactors, you know, tear down the older ones, build some new ones with, you know, the advancements and technology that we have today, because, you know, the need for, you know, power consumption continues to increase in case anybody has to figure this out. There's, there's more people showing up on the planet every day. um, And they're not getting dropped off that I'm aware of from other planets we're making them. So, you know, even babies need energy. Uh, so it's, it's amazing work that you're doing. Well, look, look at the last five to 10 years, even how our energy demands have increased. Uh, everything is basically, it's all plug and play now. You know, with, with headphones, you plug them into your wall, your phones, computers, uh, electric vehicles. These are all adding to huge demands. Cryptocurrencies, that's a nobody. I don't think people really understand the energy required for mining cryptocurrencies is huge. So uh, even if population stayed the same, let's assume that our population stayed the same for the last 10 years. Our energy requirements have increased dramatically. And it's that's not going to change because as our technology gets better and better, we will require more energy. And where is it all going to come from? Nuclear energy has been around since the 1950s, and it has been uh, steadfast in its operation. It's been very safe. It's been reliable. And that's, that's the one thing that I really like to promote on the nuclear side of things is you can't get a better source of energy than nuclear energy. And there are developments that are coming down the road that will, you know, with, with what you're saying about Bill Gates you know, promoting nuclear energy, it, it a lot of what's happening now is looking at the smaller modular reactors, uh, things that can be produced on a much quicker time scale, things that you can compartmentalize and bring to different areas where you don't need the, these big reactors, even though the big reactors have very small footprints to begin with compared to compared to solar farms or wind farms. You know, these are tiny footprints, so they don't take up a lot of land, so you can still have agriculture around you. You're not, you're not wasting any room or space. So these small modular reactors are basically the nuclear renaissance. 
they still put out the same amount of energy. If you're looking at 90 to 95% efficiency, there's no other energy source out there that has the same continuous high uh, efficiency as, as nuclear energy. And that's, that's what we need. We need that base load energy. You brought up Texas. Oh, I, I had to do some digging for the information because you can read the headlines and people are saying, yeah, it's oil's fault. It's gas's fault. It's solar's fault. It's nuclear's fault. But when you really look into the, into the, the crux of the matter, nuclear was the least affected out of everything in, in that, in that Texas windstorm. So, or the Texas cold snaps safe and reliable. It will provide you the power that we need to go forward. And the fact that advancements have come in where they can, you know, quickly deploy, you know, yeah. a, a power source, you know, think about it, you know, and, you know, if they need to, you know, we saw the other day, you know, there was a bunch of tornadoes that, you know, took out some homes in, you know, Illinois, you know, and of course, Illinois, Oklahoma, a tornado belt, you know, a lot of times you hear cases where entire towns get wiped out. Well, you have a situation where in those situations, the power grid, so it was as well, unless it was buried, you know, if it was all power poles and, and plants and things like that, all that stuff's gone now. So now it's like, okay, well, what do we do? Do we rebuild? Or you, you put something, you know, like, a, you know, as quickly as they can now, you know, a, a nuclear plant or some type, a few footprints, you know, you can get, you know, power to an area quickly and you need power to be able to rebuild. You need power to be able to, you know, charge things and get, you know, whether it's the, you know, cordless drills to build stuff or, you know, we know Ford Motor Company with their F-150 is going to be electric. So we're looking at a world where, you know, it's like, okay, there's not going to be a gas station. They're going to go to a place to plug in to get, you know, some power to these vehicles. Well, they, they need those things powered to rebuild and you get the power situation squared away first. You know, it's going to be the default. Everybody's going to like, okay, it's going to be part of FEMA or anything else. They're going to say, okay, we have a town, whether it's, you know, something like what happened in New Orleans and, you know, with, you know, the hurricanes and all that stuff, or, you know, all those other places where there's damaged areas and like, we got to get power up to this place quick. Boom. There it is. And next thing you know, it's like, well, not only it's, it's providing the power we need, but it's sustainable power that is going to prevent having to go through this exercise again. And that's one of the things you see time and time again. You know the areas that are prone for weather disasters, for example, or in California or Texas and all that where they have power challenges. Okay. You have something like this that isn't uh, as vulnerable as the traditional sources that we've been limping along with for the longest time. Next thing you know, you eliminate that issue. So when it's 100 degrees in L.A., you're like, oh, you want me to shut my air conditioner off between 8 p.m. and 6 a.m.? Uh, not going to happen. Uh, you know, I'm asthmatic, for example, so that's not going to do well for me. Um, I don't live in L.A., but, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm sure there are asthmatics in L.A. based on the smog and everything else. I'm sure there's some people with breathing problems out there. So, I mean, for them or elderly or things like that, not not safe for them to, you know, cut back, you know, their their electricity usage, for example. So, if you have sustainable power that they don't have to say, well, you know, we got to limit this. Then the next thing you know, it's there. And again, going you know, back to, you said with, you know, the smaller places, that means, you know, and I know they don't take up a whole lot of space, but because you're able to deploy something smaller, if you have a lot of growth in a particular area, and we've seen that throughout the U S and Canada, where there are certain pockets where there's just an explosion of, of new homes and businesses and all that stuff. 
and put one of these smaller units in there to provide the power. And you don't have to worry about, okay, how are we going to get this you know, grid to be able to take on this new subdivision without you know, completely shutting down something else or expanding it. So I love, I love the concept of it. And um, um, I'm hopeful that, you know, governments and everybody involved will, will wake up to this opportunity that is already here um, and, and, and move forward with it. It sounds like they have though. And that I, I really like reading, uh, reading how the governments have kind of changed their tone. Uh, you mentioned nuclear energy to anybody or any, any government agency <laughs> three years ago there'd be a downright no yeah don't want to hear it don't want to talk about nuclear energy now it's almost 180 where people are are coming out of the woodworks and saying well we can't survive without nuclear energy we need nuclear energy solar is amazing wind is amazing the renewable ideas are fantastic but again they're just not baseload power they cannot support the entire grid so you need that nuclear energy and governments are well aware of that this one of the things that you, that you kind of mentioned there talking about tornadoes. I could just imagine somebody listening to this conversation being like, oh, well, what if a tornado hits a nuclear plant? Yeah, let's, let's not think about that. But uh, small modular reactors, if you look at a lot of their designs, they're designed to go in the ground so they won't be at surface. You're going to alleviate a lot of uh, potential for environmental disasters. If they're situated in stable in stable areas where you don't get uh, you don't get any sort of uh, earthquakes or, or faults running through there, fantastic. There, there's no there's no way you can really damage these things, and it's just that's yeah exactly what we need to move forward with. We need those. We need we need to be able to turn on the lights when we want to turn on the lights. And and that's so important. And it's one of those things where you know, we we take it for granted. And we all yeah. know when the oh, power yeah. when the power goes out for a period of time, you know, our, our teenagers are asking, "How come the internet's down?" Well, uh, take look look up. Do you notice anything else on? Yeah, that's why it's down. So, but you know, as silly as that is, we've become so accustomed to yep. constant connectivity in businesses, especially people if they're working from home. I want to say forever. I, I always find it funny when companies say we're going to work remotely forever. I'm like. Okay, we've been a, we've been into this a year, really. Okay, well, we'll see in a couple of years if that's still true. But there's still a lot of home-based organizations. You know, I'm I'm one of them. You know, I have an office downtown as well, but you know, primarily I work um, out of my home office. And okay, power goes down. Well, we're we're doing this on my cell phone, which is not going to be the greatest quality, but it'll work. But other things, you know, I, I gave a talk earlier to, at a conference. Well, again, that would have been really problematic to deliver from my phone uh, instead of my computer, but it could have been done, but I, I needed the power. And I'm thankful that today's the day where, you know, it's partly sunny here and, you know, that means that the power could go out at any moment. I say that tongue in cheek, but that's oftentimes what happens is because, you know, summertime, you know, grid has issues and next thing you know you know it's like why the power go out it's sunny and calm outside um you know we had a rainstorm yesterday and nothing happened but again these are all things that eventually you know thankfully governments as you said are waking up to it and society as well are going to say enough's enough you know i'm tired of this because i know there's communities that have power outages all the time you know even think about you know, third world, I don't say third world countries, but countries that don't have the same level of resources and their grid is not as strong as it could be. You know, putting these types of um, nuclear power options in those communities 
is a game changer for them yes, because absolutely. all of a sudden they don't have to deal with the power grid not working all the time, which means they can say, you know what, we've got enough power here to manufacture things or build things. Next thing you know, you are changing the economy of an entire you know, location or even a country. That's a game changer. Yep. And as a global society, we all benefit when everyone can can grow and do things. So uh, there, there's so many facets of, of the benefits of this, not just from uh, making sure you turn the light switch and it turns on. I mean, it, it impacts economies, it impacts society and, and all the things that we, we know and love and, you know, even new products and services that don't exist yet could become viable and exist just simply by providing sustainable power that's reliant, reliable and consistent in areas that have struggled to have it. I live in Saskatoon, Canada. Mm -hmm. We, you know, our winters are prolonged and cold. I have seen minus 30 to minus 40 degrees Celsius, not Fahrenheit, Celsius a number of times. I don't want to wake up in the middle of the night to a freezing house because the whole energy goes out. Now, it would be disastrous. It would be deaths left, right, and center. People would freeze to death. The, the importance of energy is paramount. We need it for everything. Absolutely. So that's, yeah. And this is where, this is where I come into play. And this is, you know, my thesis going forward is nuclear energy for the future, uh, along, with, along with other energy sources. But we also need to find the fuel. You know, it's, it's not, nuclear energy is not going to power itself. So, yes, that, that's where I come in. I've been in uranium exploration for 15 years now. Uh, love what I do. I've been successful at it. And I obviously want to keep doing more of that. You know, it's important work. And, you know, again, it creates, like you said, you know, you live in Saskatoon. I'm, I'm in Toronto. So, it, you know, there's, you know, obviously a slight difference in, in, in community per se. And as far as, you know, all kinds of different things, but the challenges that you could face with losing power, I lose power. It's like, okay, I'm going to grab an extra blanket and because we're not going to hit those types of temperatures here unless something dramatic happens. Uh, but in, you know, rural areas and, you know, further North into the country. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a life or death situation if something happens. So again, ha the, the, here's the thing from an exploration standpoint and also from a, a, a community standpoint, you know, there's a, a lot of places that, you know, fortunately they're like, no, we can't develop here because we can't get power here. Well, guess what? You could. And all of a sudden, you know, there's parts of, of Canada and even the U S you know, that would be absolutely amazing to live in. Yep. And, and you, you put, you put in, you know, some nuclear power in there and all of a sudden you can have new communities. And as again, our population continues to grow, we can't all squeeze them all in these 250 square foot condo buildings downtown, you know, so um, people are going to, and a lot of people don't want to live that way. They want to have a little bit of elbow room and it gives the opportunity to be able to do so. And again, it's life-saving as well. I didn't realize you're in Toronto, but that's, I lived down there between 2002, 2004. So I was there when the power went out on the Eastern seaboard and it was, it was, amazing is an interesting word to use for it. Uh, yeah, there, it was kind of scary for a lot of people, but seeing how people were affected and in some areas, power was out for weeks on end. Uh, fortunately, the area that I was in, we were only out of power for two days, 
but uh, yeah, you, you can see how the world relies on, on power nonstop. Uh, people didn't know what to do with themselves. People didn't know how they could, how they could get things going again. It was, it was a gong show to be very honest. And yeah, we, we, we can't run into those types of situations again. Like we've seen how the world was affected by, by disease, by COVID, you know, shut down a lot. Energy is the same thing. You take away energy, everything shuts right down. Funny story before we wrap up about the, that blackout. I was working in the Detroit area at the time, and it was around 4.08 when our power went out there, and it was out for a couple of days. I was working in an office, and um, our vice president, his keyboard quit working. And we had a spare computer in my room. So I said, well, you know what? There's that computer there. Let me just grab that keyboard. And then we'll order a new one eventually. But it's just so you can quit working or continue working. So the keyboard was in a, a pull-out keyboard tray. So I pulled the keyboard out and I, I disconnected it from the computer and all that stuff. So I'm pulling it. And then the cord actually got caught in the back of the drawer and I'm like trying to fish it out. Couldn't do it. So I'm like, literally, you know, it's like, it's stuck. Let me, it just needs a good tug. So I went I tug, tug. And the third tug, the keyboard cable came, you know, came loose, but that's when the power went out and he looked, he looked at me and he, and he went outside and they were like, okay. And the power is still out. And then he's like, what did you do? I said, I pulled the keyboard cable and the power went out. And he said, it's down. And he said, it's down at the light too. And I'm like, and I'm like, it's a keyboard cable. Plug it in, plug it in, plug it in. Yeah, let me plug it in. <laughs> nope. That didn't do that. There's no damage. I'm like, was it hard? Why would it be in the wall? It's like, no, it wasn't. There was caught on this. And of course power was out for two days, which um, the other thing was, you know, a bunch of us, got together and emptied all our freezers and had probably one of the best barbecues I've had in my entire life. Cause there was so much food and, you know, adult beverages and everything else that we consumed and made it for a fun time. But uh, yeah. So every time I hear about that thing, I think about um, Dale asking me, okay, why, you know, what the hell did you do? And I'm like, <laughs> like, Oh, I was like, I, I'm just, I pulled out the keyboard thing and all of a sudden I shut down the grid for, you know, the Eastern seaboard. Sorry. Awesome. It, was, it was me, you know, statue of limitations. You can't get me now, but <laughs> So, James, I've loved this conversation and, and the work you're doing. So where can people find out more about you and this amazing work you're doing? I'm the CEO and president of Baseload Energy Corp. We're a uranium exploration company focused in northern Saskatchewan in the Athabasca Basin area. It's Athabasca Basin area is home to high-grade uranium, where we have uh, probably some of the lowest costs of uranium operations. One mine, for example, Cigar Lake Mine, can produce over 15%, even 20% of the world's uranium requirements now. So that's how rich everything is up there. Uh, there's some of the highest valued commodities in the entire world. There's, you can talk about high-grade gold all you want. doesn't even come close to having the same value as high-grade uranium. So that's that's uh, kind of my backyard up there for, for exploration purposes. Our company is in Toronto, uh, our main headquarters. Our technical our technical team, we're out here in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And we're, yeah, basically, we're a brand new company. We formed in June of last year, so we've been around for a year. It's been a very exciting time. Uh, 
you know, we've got 50 million shares outstanding. We listed at 10 cents. And by the end of December last year, we had already reached $1.20 based on pure speculation. So 1,200 times return, or 1,200% return, sorry. Absolutely phenomenal. But those are the type of returns that you can gain in the uranium space. Paladin Energy back in 2005, 2006, when the price just skyrocketed from 10 bucks a pound up to 140 bucks a pound. Uh, Paladin's a company went from pennies to uh, tens of dollars. You know, investors made tons of money in those. And if, if you look at what's happening right now, it's the same thing happening again. That the demand is demand is higher now than it was 15 years ago. But the supply is even lower now because all these mines have curtailed their productions because the spot price has been so low for so long. So we're looking at this perfect storm and with with baseload's thesis our exploration thesis is that we are looking for a high grade near surface deposit something that can go into production in a very quick time frame uh, historically these type of deposits that we're looking for can go into production between six to twelve from from discovery to production within six to twelve years now, investors can can benefit from the discovery into the production stage you know, throughout their throughout their tenure with with the company, whereas if you look at the historic exploration in the Athabasca Basin area, where people are looking for these un, these deeper unconformity deposits, and the unconformity just means the the contact between a sandstone, a porous sandstone layer, which you know, allows fluids to migrate through, versus a hard basement rock, and that's what we're looking for the hard basement rocks. But, uh, yeah, if you look for, for those deeper ones, there have been discoveries. Beautiful discoveries, high grades, decent tonnage that have not gone into production from the 70s. Even Cigar Lake uh, discovered in the 1970s as well, later 1970s, early 80s. You're looking at 30 to 40 years from discovery into production on one of the world's highest grade, largest tonnage deposits. This is something that we, that we in the industry call a monster and that we're all looking for the same type of thing. Why? Why, why should we continue looking for those things uh, what, when we can actually do that outside of the sandstone where we can find these, these basement rocks and, and these larger deposits as well? So, I've, yeah, our, you know, we've, we've got 50 million shares outstanding. Uh, we're currently around 50 cents. We did two raises last year and all of our, all of our investors are in the green our warrants are in the green, except for the previous warrants. Uh, been very successful for our investors so far, and we are yeah, we're very excited to be moving along and having a very productive summer. We're looking at getting our drills turning this year, so the first time inaugural drill programs for our company. Again, very exciting time for us. Uh, myself, I've got about five hundred and fifty million pounds of uranium discovery to my name. That's directly and indirectly. There's not many people who can say that. But I plan to repeat success and again, uh, just bring the investors along the ride from, from that discovery to success stage. And we need to help feed the world. That's what, uh, what Baseload's all about. You can find us at our website, uh, baseload.com. <laughs> Excuse me, baseload.com. Uh, yeah, it's, I'm, my information is on there. I'm reachable by email. Uh, Jay Sykes at uraniumgeologist.com. Uh, yeah, I love talking to people, love meeting new people, and I love people who are into the uranium space and, and nuclear energy. That's awesome. And I'll definitely have that information in the show notes. So James, continued success, and thank you for this work that you're doing. It's, uh, it's going to make the world a better place. So thank you so much for the work you're doing. Thank you very much, Michael. It's been a pleasure. 
Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.